From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Since the holidays are coming up, we don't have too many fresh podcasts, but we do have a fresh podcast today with our special guest host, Scott Shera. Hello, Grace's dad. Well, good morning, Crash. Yes, I, I am known as Grace's dad by most of the audience. And, you know, Crash asked me to open up with a scripture, asked me what was on my heart, and I'm going to do that right now. And First Thessalonians 5.3 says, While people were saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. That has been the theme of the messages I've been communicating lately, and there's no better guest to talk about that theme than Jamie Walden. You know, the crash on, we just got out of the conference room, and on the back of the conference room it says, truth at any cost. And that's one of the stakes in the ground that Q90 has put down. And in that vein, there's going to be some truth that Jamie shares today that I think will be outstanding for the audience. So Jamie Walden is a first-time guest to Q90. I've gotten to know him over the last several months, and he's been a guest on my podcast, Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. After I read his biography, I'm going to ask Jamie to pray for the show, and then we'll get rolling. He's an past author, a Marine Corps infantry sergeant, police officer, firefighter, paramedic specialist, tactical medic, a disaster response specialist turned missionary, and a national speaker discussing a wide variety of subjects affecting the church, from prophetic trends and analyses to renewing our identity in Jesus Christ as warriors in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Jamie addresses the topics the body of Christ desperately needs to hear. All right, Jamie, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Scott. It's a pleasure. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Can you open us in prayer, please, Jamie? Absolutely. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you and praise you even for having the opportunity to come before you and utilize uh, the airways and the technology just to uh, proclaim your truth and your gospel in a land that's uh, in desperate need of it. And just thank you, Lord, for um, the sufficiency of your spirit and all things, the sufficiency of your presence to truly raise up and call up a people all of your own, uh, uh, a warrior class of people who know their God, um, who are strong through their God and give glory back to our God through the completed work of your son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray, God, that you would give us the spirit of boldness and fearlessness, but meekness and humility to uh, know and understand not just the signs of the times, but actually what the church would do, Lord, um, to the glory of your namesake and for our great joy. So I just pray that you'd bless our time on the air today. And uh, give us the words to say to, to bless your people and strengthen and encourage your church in this very late hour. And I pray all these things in the powerful, life-giving name of Jesus Christ, our soon-coming King. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. To get the audience uh, with some of your background so they get used to your you being a guest on the show, uh, I'd like you to share how your missionary work led to your low point when God finally got a hold of you. Then we'll get into the topic for today. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's a, a loaded statement I guess. There's quite a 
quite a few things that the Lord um, has required of me in, uh, in, and I guess a, a fairly, my young life and, and each step along the way, you know, it, it just required just more and more uh, crucifixion of the flesh and mortification of flesh, dying to self and being all in for the Lord, you know, and, uh, and uh, especially with the background that the Lord's blessed me to, to operate in professionally. And, um, you know, actually being finally uh, called to go into the mission field to liquidate our reality and surrender everything and go into the mission field was obviously a huge, huge deal. And, uh, and it was in the mission field, actually, where I got more exposed to truly the lateness of the hour. And when, and when I say that, I mean getting exposed to the spirit of the age. You know, a lot of people like to talk about the lateness of the hour from the lens of, you know, astrocatastrophism and earthquakes and pestilence and, you know, the volcanism or maybe the rumors and, you know, the classical um, dispensational type of understanding of the of the hour. But it was being in the mission field where I was um, grievously made aware of the lateness of the hour, not of maybe the more uh, objective, you know, empirical data points that people can point to, but it was the spirit of the American Western-centric church, the spirit of the age. And actually not just the Western-centric church, because it's actually a, a, for the lack of a better word, it is the influence, the global influence on the face of the earth is the Western-centric church. Um, my wife has been missionaries. We've been missionaries in Mexico, Ethiopia, uh, the Dominican Republic. I've been a missionary in Iraq and Kurdistan, um, areas of Syria. Operated in a lot of different areas in the world, and every single place on the face of the earth that I've operated, the only brand of Christianity, for the most part, apart from the underground church, which is alive and well and radiant in these nations, is the Western-centric, narcissistic. You know, Bethel Hillsong Church Growth Church, Progressive Christianity, new name, whatever spin you want to put on it, that is the spirit of the age that has actually permeated the face of the earth. Uh, from the trenches of uh, the, with the Peshmerga, is embedded with the Peshmerga in the trenches, fighting against ISIS on behalf of the Christians, and even in those trenches there to hear what they had been exposed to because of because of the American missionaries and uh, the licentiousness and the <clears throat> apostate base of reality which they knew the Lord was so grievous it made my head spin. So, so much so to the point, I'll just get to, to the quick point and then we can go from there, is that we actually were fired from being missionaries, which is fully self-supported, um, in, in the Dominican Republic for talking about Jesus too much to the other American missionaries. We were fired, which we were self-supported. So it's not like we were hired to raise our own support and had been down there for two years, but the mission organization commanded us to leave the country without speaking to any other American missionaries on the island because we were talking about Jesus too much, and it was threatening, they said, it was threatening the amount of money that they could bring in. Wow. Unquote. And so when I, and that's what, you know, I, I know people have said, man, you speak so dogmatically, so dogmatically, you know, like, 
what about this and what about this group and what about this group and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and you can't, you can't speak with that amount of strength or, or dogmatism regarding this issue. And it's like, well, I, I speak with so much, I don't know, for lack of a better word, authority. That sounds stupid and egotistical, but just for lack of a better word, like speak with so much strength and authority regarding the spirit of the age because the Lord has allowed me for whatever reason, to bear witness to it at a very intimate level, not just in one circumstance and multiple circumstances. I add that to say that I'm married into a family that is all megachurch pastors. Uh, my wife's a pastoral daughter. Her parents were megachurch pastors. My brother-in-law is a megachurch pastor on on that side. Uh, her brother's in full-time ministry on that side. By the way, his full-time ministry for Jesus is to uh, tear down the patriarchy for Jesus Christ, which Jesus literally is the true and better patriarch, and to provide safe abortions for women for the love of Christ. That's his full-time mission. Unbelievable. Um, her, 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 I mean, the other family members, I have. I hear all the board meetings, I hear all the discussions, I hear all the church growth model things, I hear all the mechanisms for manipulating people's emotions, to bring in the right amount of money so that they can do the next $12 million addition on the building. And then the next $12 million, I hear the pastors talking about how they need $1,000 for new video gaming councils so they can attract kids to the church so they can come in and play video games. Oh, wait. Oh, the youth pastor just got uh, sexually molesting another kid. Okay, the church speaks that under the rug. They hire a new youth pastor who wants it. And I've seen this thing going on from behind the scenes for years, years, and then and then getting entrenched even with people that are connected to the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, which most people don't realize that every single church in America, almost, okay, I can't say every single one, almost every single church in America, and therefore globally, is solely based on the Bethel Hillsong, which has a school of mysticism that they openly teach. They openly teach tarot card reading. They call them destiny cards. They openly teach necromancy and grave soaking. They openly teach uh, what would be the kind of like the Sufism of twirling dervish aspect of Islam. They openly teach astral projectionism. They teach the worship of the feminine deity of Inanna. Ishtar, Ashtarte, Ashtaroth, and that is the singularity of the influence of 98% of all churches in America, and therefore globally, because we export that everywhere. So, wow. all that to say in a consolidated form is when I look at the lateness of the hour, I don't necessarily go to the, to the objective, you know, empirical data, but it is the singularity of the spirit of the church. And when we look at it, Objectively, when we look at you know First Thessalonians, which you open with Second Thessalonians, and and First Peter, and Second Peter, and Second Timothy three, and Second Timothy four, and and the entirety of the Book of Revelation, Jeremiah fifty one, and and all manner of aspects in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Amos and Nahum and Zephaniah and Zechariah, they're all constantly speaking to the spirit of the age, not necessarily the wars and rumors of wars. And more so to the point, the epistles are only ever being written to the church, not to the unbelieving world. 
mark this above all. You must understand. I mean, think of the language. You must understand this. Above all, you must understand this. Uh, you have been told that you must know that this is what you can expect. And in every single time that the Holy Spirit-inspired writers of the Gospels and the Epistles are speaking that, they're giving you a qualifier to what they're about ready to say, and it's always in reference to the apostasy of the claimants of Jesus Christ as Lord in their life. Jamie, I just want to uh, interrupt just for a moment, and for those of you who are just tuning in, my name is Scott Shera. I'm guest hosting Stand Up For The Truth today, and my guest is Pastor Jamie Walden. All right, Jamie, keep going with... Uh, how, I, I, have to, go ahead. I have to ask, uh, Jamie, are you a pacer when you're talking, or do you, like, pace around the room? <laughs> Can you hear me? Because I, I sometimes you're cutting in, sometimes you're not, and I think, because if you're like me, I pace... And sometimes I, I my signal doesn't get good because when I when I when I get to preaching I start pacing so I just wanted, you might have to sit still for a little bit because <laughs> yeah. you're cutting out sometimes. I, okay, I actually was pacing. I knew I it. A little bit of a, a little bit of a bad connection in my in my office here, so. So, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, very good crash. Yeah. I've, I've talked with Jamie before and one of the things that happens, I never picked up on the fact that he would be a pacer, but yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's uh, what I do. And sometimes I go on, you're cutting out and I have to sit still and, you know, I, I simply assumed he was a coffee drinker. <laughs> right. All right. So, <laughs> that too. <laughs> so Jamie, can you, uh, you did a great job with that intro. Thank you. Can you get to the point of your low point? I just want people to hear this so they see when were, when did you become broken? Yeah. You know, it was, it was actually on, um, returning from the Dominican Republic. And, you know, it was, it was low. You're, you know, we had liquidated our reality and, Kind of had this uh, 15 years of, of very high intensity public service, and you know, which requires a lot of slaying of your body and your mind, a lot of sacrifices to be operating in those levels of pl- public service, and kind of had a proven history of, I don't know, success for lack of a better word. And, and um, you know, and then to go down there and be serving the Lord and be all in and just be on fire and zealous for the Lord, only to be fired for making other American missionaries feel insecure about their walk with the Lord and kind of came home in, in shame, you know? I mean, that was my my initial understanding of it was that it was shameful. And we had no money and really had no prospects for jobs and stuff like that just because the the nature of my prior work, it's easy to age out. I mean, you age out of that kind of work at 35, you know? And, um, the Lord, when I thought he had brought us low, he actually brought us still yet lower and continued the crushing and the reduction part of our reality. And so, um, it just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where we ended up having to, you know, live by another brother's grace in a gutted apartment above a bar and, podunk nowhere iowa because we were out of options wow and it was just this mega mega humbling experience i mean there was i had to grab a sheet of osb and cut a hole in it and find a sink to put into it so at least we had a sink you know and here i had this long kind of illustrious career of you know high speed low drag type of stuff and and blah 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 and, and the lord just kept reducing us more and more and more but that's 
the place where he met us the most. And, and it was definitely, you know, I think it's, I believe it's Psalm 107, maybe Psalm 105, where it's speaking of Joseph. It's kind of given the, given an overview of the history of Israel. And I talked about Joseph and it says specifically about him that when the Lord had brought him low, he saw, he saw fit to bring him still yet lower. And all this was to his preferment. That's, that's what uh, Matthew Henry commentary says on it but all this was the way to his preferment and i think that we as believers especially again western Pacific believers don't understand um how the only way that the lord can use a man or woman truly is through the crushing and reductionism because what what he's actually studying about doing while they're unaware is actually satisfying the desire of your heart so if the true authentic deepest recesses of your heart that you don't even know or understand because it's deceitfully wicked above all things but at, if at the deepest recesses the Lord has a knowing that your true desire is actually to glorify him to honor him to make him known in the land because you're undone by the gospel of Jesus Christ well then he's going to set about satisfying the desire of your heart and what we don't understand is the process to do that the process is crushing, reduction, wilderness. It's the same thing over and over and over again for all the heroes of the faith, for you know all, all the men and women that we read about through all the scriptures. Every single one of them was sanctified through the wilderness experience and the crushing of self so that they would act, God actually was satisfying their heart um, to glorify him so that they wouldn't take any of the glory for themselves. Wow. He has to get us completely out of our own ways because he knows we want to honor him and if we want to honor him then there can be no self left you can't take any glory you have no boast but in the lord alone you have no pride but in the lord alone you have no no work no wise and persuasive speech but only a demonstration of the spirit's power that's left and everything gets reduced out of you to where the, it's the singularity you come into this Omega point, for lack of a better word, the singularity that all you want is the name of Christ Jesus to be made known in the land, and you don't care the cost. And if you think about it, when we look at the fullness of time and totality of the scriptures, that's actually even the posture and the spirit of those who overcome. You know, Revelation twelve eleven, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb, that's all they're focused on, the sufficiency of Christ, the word of their testimony, all they're doing is proclaiming Christ and the sufficiency of Christ, and they do not love their lives so much as they're afraid to lose it. See, I would posit that 99.97% of Christians are scared to death to lose their life for the sake of Christ. They, that's, that's why they'll run out and put stuff in their body to change their body, which happened in the last three years. Right. They'll do anything to preserve their life. They won't stand up. They won't speak up. They won't. They won't even address their reprobate adult children. Uh, they they make excuses for everything. They want to be all things to all people. They choose cultural relevancy over any form of suffering or persecution or reviling. Uh, they've actually systematically forfeited every blessing of the of the beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. If we systematically go through the Sermon on the Mount, the church has systematically forfeited every single one of those blessings. Uh, we are not willing to suffer be unjustly because we're conscious of Christ, which is to our commendation, 1 Peter 2. And, and it just keeps going on and on and on and on. And yet, all the while, when you look at it, the spirit of the age is the Laodicean church age, which says, I don't care what you say, 
you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. I don't care what all the empirical data is. I don't care what the scriptures say. I am wealthy and in need of nothing. How dare you say that the Lord, the Lord is wearied with me? That's what they were saying in Malachi. How have we wearied you, Lord? How have we wearied you, Lord? Oh, Lord, he says, because you say, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and where is this God of justice? And he right. goes, that's why I'm coming to judge you, because you're saying that. So you fast-forward to the Laodicean church, same exact posture. We are wealthy and in need of nothing. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. We're crushing it. Look at our church growth model. Look at our capital campaigns. Look at how influential we are. Look at the amount of our podcasts and broadcasts and our audiovisual, you know, acumen and all these stupid mega church models. And, uh, and yet they've never once stopped and said, Lord, how do you see me? Because if we did, we might be shocked. But if we, we might be shocked that he actually says, you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind. You're naked, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Jamie, that was uh, phenomenal. I do want to end this first half by talking about the wake-up call, and that was a great segue. First, my name is Scott Shera, and I'm guest hosting Stand Up For The Truth today, and my guest is Jamie Walden, and he is... He's, he's pushing some buttons. He, uh, I can see our online <laughs> streaming numbers, and they're dropping. <laughs> well, that means I don't mean to laugh because I'm going, wow, man, he just, he's pushing buttons right now. Not, you're, speaking, you're speaking truth, of course. But I just I'm, I'm watching these online numbers just drop. Yeah, but, and and that's keep going because of the, it. It is that Laodicean church spirit. So so that's what it, even God said in Jeremiah six: To whom can I speak and give warning? Their ears are closed, so they do not hear. My word is offensive to them. So notice, I haven't said anything that is in my opinion. No, 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 it's all scripture. It's right on. You're, you're, it's you, all. Jamie, you are nailing it. You are, you're over the target and people need to hear this stuff. You know, Zach Poonin calls, you know, breaking us, taking us down to zero. I just wanted to weave that in. But then just a few things that I've heard you say, and we, we have roughly, uh, six and a half minutes to the break. I'm just going to say this and then let you go for the remaining six minutes. You know, I've heard you say that the, the church in the United States thinks it's been persecuted because they have they had to wear masks to Home Depot while drinking lattes from Starbucks. I've also heard you comment uh, about to be, today being different from any time in modern history because we're lovers of self, we have a form of godliness, we're willing to forget the truth, and we devote ourselves to doctrines of demons. What I see is that we're going from the frying pan to the fire, but people don't even realize they were in the frying pan. So with that said... Uh, I want to have you spend the last six minutes before the break talking about the wake-up call of the convergence of events. So we have a convergence going on with Satan trying to imitate God with what's happening with the war in Israel. And we also have a planned kinetic invasion of the United States that I've heard you talk about. So go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, it is. It is all interconnected. And even that's one of the reasons why, why you know, I... I guess with unmitigated zeal regarding it is because, you know, I, I am connected to different people in the intelligence agencies just because of my background and kind of have my finger on the pulse on things on a different level. And, and I couldn't shout it any louder from, from the rooftops, like brace for impact church. It's happening. It's going down in real time. And unfortunately, 
again, that gets into the spirit of the age, the mocking and scoffing. Where is this coming to the Lord? You know, every day it goes on business as usual, but they deliberately forget that the same God who judged the earth with a deluge is coming again to judge it with fire. And so even that word, they deliberately forget, it's speaking to that spirit of all these people that are jumping off the air right now because they don't like what they're hearing. It is a willful choice. It is a choice of the will. It's not that they don't know the truth, as it says in Second Thessalonians 2, it's because they love not the truth. Romans 1, it's not that they don't know the truth. No, it's not that they don't know God. Knowing God, they neither glorify him nor give him thanks, but they come uh, darkened by the hardening of their hearts. And so what we have right now is, is even a 7,000% increase. Hear that number. 7,000% increase of Chinese military-aged male troops coming across the border this year in singularity. We have reports from different intelligence apparatus that there's upwards of 350,000 Chinese military personnel pre-staged in America. There's been reports of armor brigades up on, on the Canadian border. This goes into all the stuff with Trudeau and what's going on there and bilateral agreements to allow Chinese troops to come in and protect assets. We have reports of armor brigades on Vancouver Island. We have reports from the intelligence community of multiple, multiple heavy uh, maritime transport ships laden with armaments of war staged off of both coasts, but particularly California. You have Xi Jinping, who just recently had a hero's welcome into California and met with the heads of all of our tech companies and Governor Newsom. We have hot mic incidents in China from what would be their equivalent of their Joint Chiefs of Staff, hot mic incidents from about 18 months ago, specifically mentioning Newsom by name, saying we have been assured stand-in orders from Governor Newsom of California to allow us to get all the way to the Rocky Mountains before uh, there would be any impediments or any stopping things. We have all the multiple uh, different that instead have been caught with actively being paid by China and also having Chinese spies working for them directly in concert. We have the recent Chinese spy balloon incident. And then we have what's going on in the Israel and the Middle East and Ukraine and Russia and North Korea, South Korea, and China versus Taiwan and Pakistan versus India over the Kashmir and, and French troops actively engage in combat in the central uh, Africa against Russian troops in the Wagner group. And we have the mobilization of military assets, which people don't understand if they're not paying attention. It is a mobilization of military assets that has outpaced what we did for Operation Overlord and the D-Day invasion, 1942. And so when you try to actually think about these things all together, this doesn't even get into the central bank digital currencies, what the World Economic Forum is saying about the Great Reset, and also uh, Bill Gates, along with the United Nations, rolling out what they call a, a digital ID biometrically backed passport linked to your medical data through a vaccination pa passport, and then singularly synced up with a central bank digital currency post-economic reset. That's their words. That's not my words. That is what they say. That is what they're doing. That's where all this is going. So you have the militaristic, you have the geopolitical, you have the geostrategic, you have the economic, you even have the health and wellness aspect of it, and you have this great amassing and this convergent zenith of literally everything that was for spoken and foreknown and foretold to the saints throughout the scriptures 
about the signs of the times and the lateness of the hour and how to rightly discern them. And therefore, to, you know, for us as believers in Christ Jesus, to get busy being about our Father's work. And I don't care if you're pre-trib rapture. I don't care if you're post-trib rapture. I don't care if you're pan-rapture. Everything's going to pan out. How, wh- wherever you lean, it doesn't matter your, your, the ne- necessarily, it doesn't matter what your dispensational, you know, doctrinal stances on, on those issues. The, the singularity of the conclusion of the matter is still about winning souls, redeeming the time for the days are evil, and making the most of every opportunity to the glory of Christ Jesus. Because this thing is coming down from every single age, angle imaginable. And I didn't even touch the transhuman biotech interface stuff or the astrocatastrophism, which all, literally all the central planners and space agencies and emergency preparedness organizations globally are actively preparing for, which is a mega uh, celestial event coming on the Earth, which is why they need the war, which is why they need the consolidation of all supply chains, which is why they need a mass depopulation. Jamie, Jamie, I got a break right now. We're going to be coming back in 30 seconds. When we come back, we're going to talk about... How do we receive hope? What is our hope in this time, given everything you just outlined? And we're going to talk about the survival mindset. Thank you, Jamie. We'll be right back. Congratulations. If you're new to Q90FM and Center for the Truth, you just heard the last four years in nine minutes. More coming up. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. Standupforthetruth.com. I'm Scott Shera, Grace's dad, and I'm guest hosting Stand Up for the Truth today, and my guest is Pastor Jamie Walden. When we closed the first half of the show, we said we're going to talk about the survival mindset next. And where that title comes from is Jamie has a series called Matters of the Heart, and one of the sermons is called Survival Mindset, and it is outstanding. That link will be in the show notes, so anybody can listen to it. We all need to be anchored in hope given especially what's going on, as we just got done discussing in the first half. Satan wants to grind on the saints and have us put our hope in anything but Jesus. I'm going to give you two examples to start the second half of the show. So the first one is our propensity to scour the news, which is a pre-planned esoteric dialectic which tries to put our hope in knowledge. This just came out last week. This is from Stop World Control. And I'm going to quote this. An unprecedented nuclear truth explosion occurred in the United States with worldwide impact, forever changing the face of the earth. There are three men in our world that have an impact on humanity unlike anybody else in history. They have the power to steer a vast portion of the human race in a good or bad direction. I'm talking about Elon Musk, Tucker Carlson, and Joe Rogan. Nobody on the face of the earth has a greater influence on mankind than these three combined. Each of them has a worldwide audience in the hundreds of millions, giving them more power than mainstream media. What happened last week, all three of them brought on Alex Jones onto their platforms They brought him on because he has been a conspiracy theorist, but every one of the conspiracy theories that he has uh, come up with has come true. So they could close this 
article by saying this worldwide revealing of unprecedented truth is called the Great Awakening. And I'm going to just add a parenthesis, uh, copying, copying the original Great Awakening, which Satan does. And I'm going back to the quote, mankind has finally, is finally beginning to open its eyes to reality, much to the terror of the criminal elites who are desperately trying to prevent the truth from reaching more people. So my conclusion of that, and I'm, we're going to have a clip yet too, Jamie, before you comment, but my conclusion of that article last week is that this is the New Age message, and it is custom fit for the false prophet angel of light strategy of Satan, praying, EY, on our propensity to fall trap to Satan's security and comfort master plan. All right, the second, so that's that's falling trap to the hope and knowledge. And the second one is from Pastor Matt Truella, who I had on last time I was guest hosting. And this is from a sermon that he had a couple weeks ago, and it's just a short clip talking about putting our hope in doctrine. Go ahead, Crash. After all their evil with the pandemic, now what do we have? Israel and Hamas, right? All the Christians have now returned to all their craze with their eschatology and their ever-changing futurist schemes. What a perfect way to do things. Why? Because the elitist and powers that be know it always distracts and neutralizes the Christians. That's why. Okay, Jamie, we have a little over 20 minutes for you to walk through the survival mindset. Where should our hope be and how important is hope? to survival. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at it from even a physiological or a psychological standpoint, there's been, you know, uh, uh, ad nauseum studies regarding, you know, the the worst case survival scenarios. You know, it's easy for us as believers to go to, to the Holocaust. And what they found throughout their studies is the only uh, differentiating factor on who survived versus who didn't survive were those who had hope. Hope was the singularity of the ability of even the human body and the consciousness to affect the body physiologically to endure whatever was required of it to endure. And what's so particular about that is it truly is the only thing that is going to survive in this age, especially with regards to the, to the, to the church, to the authentic church. Whenever I say church, I'm speaking to the authentic church. And, and this survival mindset is centered on a hope in Christ alone. When you look at the totality and the depth and breadth of all the, the Gospels and the epistles of the New Testament and what all the angels and even the prophets were longing to look into, it was the signification of the hope of the resurrection. That's what everything was centered on, the hope, the hope, the hope of the resurrection, so there's so many times where, where I see people, uh, you know, they're, they, and, and I understand this, this is not a knock or a condemnation, but they, they want to represent Christ through the cross. They want to represent Christ through the cross. And I can picture, I've always pictured the first century church and even the apostles as they're going around church planning, they would have never have used a first century torture device who tortured their king, the king of glory, God himself, for the salvation of all of men's heart. They would never use that symbol to represent the gospel that they were carrying and the mystery, the mystery of the cosmos. It says the mystery of the age that has now been made known to you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what they were proclaiming. 
Rather, they would have been proclaiming the empty tomb. And more important than the empty tomb, they would have been proclaiming the reoccupied seat at the right hand of the Father. See, these are the higher levels from which our hope spurs. Our hope doesn't stem out from the cross. Our hope stems out from the resurrection and the reoccupied seat of the Father. And that hope, as the Scripture says, will not disappoint. And so when we have this understanding, this true and better survival mindset of a hope that's not going to disappoint, we are actually among those who can consider a pure joy when we face diverse, manifold trials of many kinds, knowing that that it's um, leading us into perseverance and producing perseverance. And when that perseverance is finished, it will make us mature and complete, lacking nothing. When we are operating out from that hope, it's when we can actually fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but for what is unseen is eternal. And these light and momentary afflictions, light and momentary afflictions, are achieving in us an eternal glory that far outweighs everything else. So we don't even look at those things. Like, when we have this hope, we actually have no fear in life because we are so mature, I guess we have a maturation in the fullness of the love of God that casts out all fear. We know the love of God because we see it in the face of Jesus Christ. We see it in the empty tomb. We see it in the resurrection. And therefore, we are so undone by the love of God that it casts out all fear. And the only fear that we have is reserved solely for God alone. We fear no man. We fear not death itself because it's lost its sting. It's been swallowed up and conquered in Christ. We don't fear governments. We don't fear the machinations of men. We don't even fear the failing of our carnal bodies, which decay over time through entropy, because we know the sufficiency of the love of God made known in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we our faces are fixed on the hope of the resurrection, and we're able to navigate this hostile territory and everything that comes with it with honor, courage, and commitment all the way to the end. And and that's what, what again, I, I, I know I keep using the same language, but the totality of the scriptures, when you look at it from a macro, big picture, they are constantly affirming and reproving and affirming and reproving and ingraining these same concepts over and over and over again. Why? So that we would not grow weary and lose heart. That's why. And so that is the survival mindset that is going to be the only thing that carries us through what comes next. You know, even in your uh, monologue that you were just sharing a couple minutes ago, is people don't even understand the counterfeit deception that's coming. The deception that's coming is not a, a, uh, a combat boot on the neck of the people. The deception that's coming is peace and security. The deception that's coming, which I remember reading about uh, and studying the, the mystery schools and the esoteric occultic practices of, you know, eons ago from the Phoenicians to the Sumerians, the Canaanitic type of occultic practices. Obviously, we're familiar with Egyptological and Babylonian stuff, is that they were saying 10 years ago, our leaderships were saying 10 years ago, what they're going to do is they're going to use somebody, this was before Trump's name was ever mentioned, to expose all the deepest recesses of wickedness that come out in the United States of America and globally, all the sex trafficking, all the global sex trafficking, all the adrenal chrome, all the ritualistic sacrifice, all the Babylonian money magic stuff, all these this, this uh, manipulation of the face of the earth through humanity and all these control mechanisms, and they're going to they're gonna lay it all wide open so that they can usher in, and you use this, this language, Scott, is, 
a great awakening, which is that's a cultic language. Correct. They're going to bring about a great awakening on the face of humanity, and they're going to bring in a counterfeit light that looks like it is doing away with the old order of things and bringing in a new order of things, which will be peace and security and some kind of counterfeit millennial reign without Christ. Right on, Jamie. I can't, you know, I can't talk about that enough. It is, it is such a big deal and it is so deceptive. And we're so focused on exposing evil. We don't realize exposing evil plays right into Satan's playbook. I'm Scott Shera. I'm guest hosting Stand Up for the Truth and you are listening to Pastor Jamie Walden. Keep going, Jamie. Yes, sir. And so that, that's why this, this is so significant, even to, um, you know, kind of connecting it to what we're talking about with the survival mindset and an identity in Christ alone, because the deception is going to be that good. I mean, we know it's going to be that good. It says even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. And then Christ laments, will I, when I return, will I even find any faith in the land? And he also laments further that if I did not shorten the days, there would be no flesh left alive. And actually what that renders in the Hebrews and in, in the in the Hebrew in the original text is that there would be no flesh left that could receive salvation, is what it's speaking to in in the original context of that. And so that's why a fixation, laser focused fixation on an identity in Christ alone has to be, must be the singularity of the entirety of our focus. Not all this other stuff, like you said, not the neo Gnosticism, not my super-duper, super-special intelligence knowledge of all things dispensational and eschatology. Like, that ain't going to cut it. Sorry. It says those who know their God shall be strong and go forth and do exploits. Daniel eleven thirty two. Those who know their God. Not those who know their doctrine. Not those who tow their doctrinal party lines. Not those who know their eschatology. Not those who know themselves and think very highly of themselves. Not those who know everything about Trump. And geopolitics and, and this, uh, this apparently this counterfeit savior of Trump that the, the uh, conservative right is, is longing for and clamoring for. Like, they want everything but King Jesus. It says those who know their God will be strong and go forth and do daring exploits. And actually that word knowing presupposes an intimacy and a walk with the Lord that goes far beyond what most people are doing. I said nothing about knowledge, nothing about doctrine, nothing about seminary, nothing about formal training. I said those who know their God and walk in intimacy with them. I don't care if it's an 89-year-old lady who has no education at all, and I don't care if that's a 7-year-old child who has no education at all. They know their God. And like this is the distinction that the Lord is making all throughout Scriptures, even in particular Malachi 3.16-4.3, through 4, 3, where he talks about them, those who fear the Lord were found talking with one another, and the Lord heard, and the Lord li- listened. And a scroll of remembrance was written concerning those who fear the Lord and revere his name. And he says, those ones, they are the ones that are going to make up my treasured possession on the day when I act. I'm going to distinguish them. And he goes on to say, like, when these things start breaking out, it's talking about the day of the Lord and the end of the age, those ones who know me and they fear me, they are the ones who are going to go act like calves released from the stall. They are the ones that are going to see righteousness come with healings in his wings. They are the ones that are going to see all the enemies of God become ashes under the soles of their feet. Those are the ones. And so you see this constant delineation and distinction being made all throughout the scriptures. And, and again, it has nothing to do with the narcissistic acumen 
I speak in tongues. I only read King James. I believe the earth is flat. I believe the earth is round. I believe in pre-trib rapture. I believe in post-trib rapture. Like, none of those distinctions matter. The distinction is a heart that is humble and contrite and trembles at fear of the Lord. The Lord says, that's the man who I esteem and they have a knowing of me. And their hope is in me alone. Not their 401k, not being smarter than the next guy, not how they manage their IRA with all their actuary, not their knowledge, not their physical acumen and acuity. None of it matters. They know me and their hope is in me. And that's why, like, my burden is to just constantly be speaking to an identity in Christ alone. An identity in Christ, not an identity in woundings, not an identity in your childhood abuses, not an identity in your in your uh, sexual abuse, which I'm not diminishing that. that. That stuff, the enemy uses that stuff as such a deep, deep heart level that it's, it's only in Christ that we can get freedom from that. And our money, not an identity in our job titles, not an identity in our failings and our past, not an identity in our successes, but an identity in Christ alone is the only thing that is going to suffice to carry through what is imminently, imminently getting ready to break out on the face of the earth. Wow. Jamie, that was absolutely fantastic. I mean, the definition you gave us of hope is is the only way we can survive. Can you frame that perspective of hope, which is the only right perspective in the other things that we need to survive in so that people understand how important it is? Because we think we need food, water, et cetera, to survive. But what about hope? Yeah, hope, hope is, you know, and, and like we said, hope is, is the centrality of it all because hope is what sustains. And, and remember the key thing about hope, hope both hope and faith as listed in, in, uh, you know, first Corinthians 13, you know, is that faith and hope are actually temporal. They're temporary constructs that are to carry us through all the way to the resurrection, the glorification, right? Where the, corruptible puts on the incorruptible the mortal puts on the immortal and this is the transformation the twinkling of the eye you know a lot of people want to use that or to to justify different rapture doctrines but the reality is that it's talking about the glorification just like christ ascension and glorification into his glorified body for all of eternity right and so faith and hope are these temporal constructs because the bottom line is that one day your faith beside comes fake and your hope comes to fruition and that's why it says, but love is what remains. Faith and hope have value, but love is the only thing that's going to remain because those are temporary. Once you breathe your last breath, if you are in Christ, all of that is done. Faith and hope are done forevermore because now you see and now you know and now it's come to fruition. And that's why both faith and hope are such a big deal to the Lord. And that's why my righteous ones will live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please me. And that's why we're to hold out the reason for the hope that we have the hope in the glorification because Christ is risen. And so we hold out these things knowing the power of them and the sufficiency of them to even carry us all the way through the end. And so that's why, you know, the fact that they're even temporal constructs is such a big deal because they will come to fruition one day and it'll be a day beyond comprehension. And so we hold out the hope to which we cling to, we also live out from the hope to which we have in Christ Jesus. And the thing about hope is that it is certainty. It is not a wish. A wish is what the pagans do. That's what they do. They wish and they say good luck. 
No, we are blessed and we have a hope. Completely radical juxtaposition to what the unbelieving world is trying to make manifest and cling to to survive their daily realities that are a hot mess. We, we out from hope, have such a certainty that we have a quiet confidence in Christ. And in fact, that is the signet ring of, an, of a knowing of our God is quiet confidence forevermore. You know, and repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. The fruit of righteousness is peace, but the effect of righteousness is quietness and confidence forevermore. Uh, David says in Psalm 131, I, I, my heart is not proud, as you know, O Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters, with things too wonderful for me, but like a child weaned from its mother is my soul within me. It is stilled and quieted. quieted. See, when we know the hope of the Lord, we don't have fear. When we have a hope that is set on the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we are bold and without fear, and we are secure. Psalm 112 says that we are not of those who fear bad news. We are not easily shaken. Our hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Our hearts are secure. We have no fear. Psalm 112. I mean, again, I, I can't... I know I sound like a broken record, Scott, but the scriptures are constantly speaking to the same thing all throughout them. This great juxtaposition of those in the Lord, those who know their God versus those who walk by the flesh, they walk by the things of the world, they love the world and the things of the world. And even the juxtaposition of the spirit, the spirit of the age versus the spirit of the living God in his people. And it's those who fear the Lord versus those who fear man. Those who love the world versus those who have died to the world and died to all the things of the world, and now they're clothed with Christ, right? Those who cling to these worthless idols and they're sons of disobedience, they're heirs of wrath versus those who are alive in Christ, and now they have a ring on their finger, a cloak on their back, and they're heirs of a promise and co-heirs with Christ of an inheritance and of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so you're constantly seeing this, sin juxtaposition all throughout it and it is all centered on christ jesus like i said that i i love talking to all these super duper brainiac you know neo-gnostic eschatological masters out there that want to dig into all these myths and genealogies and all these things and what did paul what did paul write he said they're going to lead you astray with and cause arguments constantly exploiting you because of myths and genealogies and fabricated stories. They're actually going to lead you astray by your desires, right? You're going to have the form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Why? Because you're going to be a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Knowledge is pleasurable. There is a, dop- there is a physiological dopamine and uh, uh, um, hormonal release of things that are pleasurable to you, one of them being the study and the knowledge of all these things, so it's a love of pleasure why you do it versus a love of God, right? You are actually a lover of self. And what they're not able to do is actually bring people back into the truth that the mystery of the ages, the mystery of the ages, has been, past tense, already made known to you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right on. It's the- so definitive. It's so definitive. But it's you know what? It's, I speak about this all the time. It's not enough for the claimants of Christianity. It'll never be enough. They need the tongues. They need the right translation to lord over the next guy. They need the shape of the earth to lord over the next guy. They need the rapture doctrine to lord over the next guy. They need super-duper knowledge. They need their political activism to lord over the next guy. They need whatever it is. 
Because what they're testifying to every single day is no matter what, Christ will never be sufficient for them. And the fact that they have a hope of the resurrection and glorification will never be enough for them. They need Christ plus. They need a second work of grace. They need sinless perfectionism, or they need a lawless licentiousness, or they need political activism. Jesus will never be enough for the majority of the claimants of Christianity, which is exactly why it was foretold that they will always be learning, but never able to come to an understanding of the truth. The truth is the person and the deity of Jesus himself. That is the truth. That is the way. That is the life. And that is what will never be enough for them. This whole temptation of our quest for knowledge was introduced in the garden. And we have had knowledge as an idol as part of our sinful nature ever since. Jamie, in the last few minutes, do you want to comment on on the start of this pursuit, which Satan introduced in the garden? We have about three, four minutes left. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just recently spoke on it, um, that the original sin was actually the exploitation of zeal, when you think about it. So Adam and Eve, Adam, or Eve in particular, but Adam by default for his weak leadership, uh, it always comes, bird of command is always going to come back on the man. But um, it was an exploitation of their zeal to actually want to know the Lord more. So when you look at the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the scribes, that's what Satan did with them. He exploited them in their zeal for the Lord, exploited them to actually make them enemies of God. And it's the same thing that he's doing with the church, exploiting the zeal. Oh, you want to know the Lord more? Well, if you twirl and spin and then you, you know, you have these random prophetic, hey, I have a word for you. Hey, I have a word for you. Then you're really super spiritual. Hey, if you celebrate church only on Saturday and not Sunday, you're actually more spiritual than everybody else. Use that to Lord over the next guy. Hey, if you do X, Y, Z, you're more spiritual than everybody else. So it is actually the same lie from the garden all the way through, which is an exploitation of actually our desire to know God. And that's why when the Antichrist manifests himself and he proclaims himself to be God and that there is no other God, when you look at this rise of Torah observance and Hebraic root stuff, this crazy firestorm of taking back on the yoke of slavery and actually denying Christ, which I can't believe that people are doing Torah observance stuff, is the most insane movement that I've ever seen. But it's the same old lie from the garden. Exploit your zeal to honor the Lord and actually, by doing so, make you an enemy of God. Because just like with Eve in the garden, what he did is he, uh, he pricked her pride of her flesh to say, whatever God has offered you and whatever God has given you is not enough. It's not a sufficient. You, by the strength of your will, can choose you have more and come out from underneath that covering and take by the strength of your flesh what you want. Jamie, you have been a phenomenal guest, quite an encouragement to me personally. We've only scratched the surface today, and I would really like to have you back for a part two if you're willing. Sure, Scott. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks. God bless you, Jamie. And that's going to wrap up another fresh podcast here on Stand Up For The Truth. And looking ahead, you can check the upcoming tab tomorrow. Frank Sherwin is Mary's guest. Got a replay on Wednesday, Thursday, headlines, and Friday, Chris Quintana. StandUpForTheTruth.com.